0: Welcome to the Holistic Anxiety Fix Podcast, where we explore the many different root causes of anxiety so you can learn how to heal naturally and reclaim your love for life. Welcome to this episode of the Holistic Anxiety Fix Podcast. This is one of my favorite episodes we have with us today tracy who is a certified holistic nutritional consultant that is a mouthful an instructor at the canadian school of natural nutrition the recipient of the 2018 clinical excellence award and co-author of histamine haven so obviously she's coming to us highly qualified Her clinical practice has a strong focus on the health of the gut, microbiome, and the intestinal barrier. Her passion is teaching people how to fix leaky gut and how to feed not only themselves, but the organisms living in their gut. She has a strong interest in supporting brain plasticity, as well as helping people struggling with histamine intolerance and mast cell activation syndrome. And in today's episode, we are going to be focusing on just that, on understanding what histamines are, what mast cell activation syndrome is, and how they could potentially be the missing link and the hidden root causes to your anxiety symptoms, especially if you've been struggling for years, feel like you've been going in circles, and experience some pretty intense physiological symptoms that don't have any obvious triggers. But don't let me tell you, let's take it from her as we dive into this month's episode. Okay, welcome Tracy. Super excited to have you here today on the Holistic Anxiety Fix podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I am very excited to be
0: here today. And we're going to talk about a topic that I think not a lot of people are familiar with especially not those who have really looked at healing anxiety in the traditional standpoint so through conventional medicine or you know by going to a therapist and yet this can be you know one of the biggest triggers for really intense anxiety symptoms and that is something called histamine so today we're going to be talking all about everything histamine related so if you're listening and you're like what the heck is that you probably want to tune in and if you think you know what histamines are you still want to tune in because it can guarantee you we're going to be covering things that are probably not on your radar so let's start first by talking about what exactly histamine is what is it
1: so Histamine is a compound that is found in our bodies and it's involved in our immune response. It's involved in like gut function and a whole bunch of other things, but basically it's this compound and it has really a lot of functions in the body. Mm -hmm. Most people have heard of histamine in relation to allergies, right? They've taken antihistamines because they have an allergy So most people understand that histamine is part of an allergic response, but it does so much more in the body. I think 23 physiological functions have been identified. So things like wound repair, sexual function, it can dilate blood vessels. So if people have low blood pressure, sometimes it's because histamine can have dilated their blood vessels and it's really involved in all of our smooth muscle contraction. And for most people, that doesn't really mean a lot, but you have smooth muscle in your GI tract. So histamine would be involved in like the contraction of moving your food through the GI tract. You have it in your bladder. So histamine would be involved in like bladder contraction when you urinate, right? So there's a lot of places in the body where we have smooth muscle and histamine is one of the kind of signalers for that smooth muscle to contract.
0: And it's a neurotransmitter as well, right? It is. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, so fascinating, right? Because it's one molecule and yet it, it's it got so many different functions. And yet when we mm-hmm. think of histamine, really all we think about is allergies. So nobody talks about all of these other functions that it plays in the body.
1: No. And in fact... I suspect that most doctors don't get much training in histamine beyond the allergic response part of it. And, you know, even uh, for myself as a nutrition professional, that's the same training I got, right? I learned that histamine was part of an allergic response and that was it. Really had to go digging to learn
0: more about it. So, I mean, it's great. It has all these great functions. So why does someone with anxiety care about histamine? Like, why do we want to know about histamines? Where's the link? So you actually hit on
1: it earlier. You mentioned that it acts as a neurotransmitter. So that's one of the things that it does. So other neurotransmitters, if, you know, neurotransmitter is a newer term for people Some of the other ones they might be familiar with would be like serotonin or dopamine. I don't think very many wellness people recognize that histamine is also a neurotransmitter. So that means that it can impact our brain and our nervous system. Look at anxiety and depression. There will be a subset of people. Not everybody with anxiety and depression is going to have histamine involved, but definitely there's a subset of people who will. Some of the other ways when histamine's acting as a neurotransmitter, some of the other things people might experience are brain fog. And brain fog is one of these sort of big generic terms, but basically it means you're not able to concentrate and focus the way you would like. And then also insomnia. Histamine as a neurotransmitter, one of the things it does is it signals wakefulness and it peaks at about two in the morning. And so if people are having troubles in general sleeping, or you know maybe they're able to fall asleep, but then they wake up around that two or three in the morning mark, and they're not able to get back to sleep, that could be another indication of how histamine is acting as a neurotransmitter in their bodies.
0: Okay. So just to kind of clarify, then histamine plays a lot of roles, but the role that it's really going to impact with anxiety is its role as a neurotransmitter. So when you're talking about the impact, then are you talking about levels that are too high or levels that are too low? I'm guessing it's, and I sort of know the answer to this, but, um, (laughs) It's levels that are too high that's really creating that problem for people. Yes. Like yeah. that overstimulation.
1: Yeah. And actually, you know, as you were saying that, there is another way that it can impact anxiety. And, you know, earlier I talked about its action on smooth muscles and that it also acts as a vasodilator. But one of the other things it kind of does in within the cardiac system is it can contribute to heart palpitations if people have panic attacks as part of their anxiety where their heart's racing, you know, they haven't exercised, they haven't done anything that would normally cause a racing heart, that's another way that it can tie into anxiety as well.
0: And I think this is a really big one because I know personally this touches my story and for a lot of women that come to see me, they come in with heart palpitations, right? Mm-hmm. So they have this panic that's been medically cleared. You know, they've done the right tests. They've worn the Holter monitor. The doctor kind of throws their hands up in the air and says, you know, I don't really know what's going on with you. Your heart is fine. And yet you can physically feel that right. the heart is not fine. Yeah. And so it can be this like incredibly invalidating experience where you know what your body feels like. And yet the medical system is saying it's just anxiety, right? And so- mm-hmm you're kind of labeling, I think, a missing link for so many women in that it's actually, um, it's a histamine issue. It's it's high levels of histamine that are triggering, you know, this panic. And then we also just talked about how it's also going to be triggering a lot of brain and nervous system issues as well. Yeah. So then it's like the perfect storm for this like complete anxiety picture. Right. Yes. So yeah, it's like, very different than like going to a car wreck and having a panic attack, because that's Mm -hmm. in response to a trauma. And so we know that there's an, a really obvious trigger. And so that's a, you know, more of a physiological response triggered by an emotional event, right? Mm -hmm. If you witness it, for example, but what you're saying is that it literally can just be physiologically triggered with the histamine, right? It's not something that's coming in from outside triggering us, there might not be an obvious trigger, which then I think leads a lot of women to think, oh my gosh, am I going crazy? Like, why am I having these panic attacks in the grocery store? Or, you know, when I go for a run, I have a panic attack afterwards. What's actually going on there? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. You know, there are triggers for it, but they can be so vast and so hard to identify, like you just use the example of after running or jogging, you just sort of feeling like you're having this panic attack and exercise is one of the things that can trigger histamine release in the body. You know, there's this huge long list of things that can trigger that. And so again, it can be physiologically rooted, but it can also be so difficult to identify the triggers because they're so vast. But Mm -hmm. also because nobody is talking about these connections, you know, for example, heat can be a trigger as well. You know, somebody might be told, you know, take Epsom salt baths because they're relaxing and they're going to help your body detoxify. But if the heat of that Epsom salt bath is actually a trigger for you, but if nobody's told you that, it's really, really difficult for people to start to make those connections because one day you know, you've had a hot bath and you get an anxiety attack. And, you know, maybe the next day there's a perfume that you've smelled that has like triggered it. It's a very complicated issue when it comes to histamine. And there are so many triggers that can induce the release of histamine within your own body. You know, one of the things that I've seen when people have histamine mediated health issues, they persevere, like they're looking for answers, the medical system has not provided them. But I find the people that I work with, like they just keep searching for answers, because they're not getting them. But they seem to really have a drive to want to know, you know, what's going on in their body and how they can help.
0: Yeah, so many things there to respond to. So one is actually a client the other day, messaged me. And she's like, is this weird, but I feel awful after Epsom salt baths. And the first thing I said to her was how hot was your bath? She's like, well, it's pretty hot. And I'm like, "Uh uh-huh. So this is like a really good clue for us that we need to look at histamines. Right. And the second thing is that, you know, you said the clients persevere. And I love that because, you know, the conventional system really does a great job of invalidating our own intuition. These clients that persevere, and I'm like sort of getting goosebumps talking about it, but they intuitively know like something's off and they refuse to buy into the messaging that it's just in their mind. I think if there's one thing I want to get across during this conversation, it's that, right? Kind of tune into your own intuition and, and keep searching for answers because here's one that I guarantee you is probably not on your radar. And that kind of actually leads really nicely into me asking you how you got to know so much about histamines. Tell our listeners what your journey was, because I'm sort of getting a sense that it also involved perseverance.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm 52 now, and really it's only been a couple of years that I have really understood what was going on in my body. But I've had histamine-mediated symptoms since birth. I was that little baby that had a lot of skin rashes, itchy skin. Like I was always itchy. My mom was always buying new lotions to try. Sometimes there'd be flares of eczema and we wouldn't know why. Occasionally there'd be flares of hives. And, you know, the doctor didn't really have much to say beyond kind of saying, you know, sometimes it's a combination of factors. And sinus inflammation was another Mm -hmm. really big thing. So I was, as a child, I was a mouth breather at night. So couldn't breathe through my nose because it was just inflamed. And I had chemical sensitivities. So I can remember at about age five, we would take these road trips and my dad always had a new car. And back then, you know, again, I'm dating myself a little bit here, but this would have been, you know, decades ago. People often were given a company car. So my dad always had a new company car and the off-gassing, right? That new car smell that some people love, it made me sick. So it gave me headaches and nausea. Mm -hmm. And my mom's old beat up Ford didn't, right? So I had these chemical sensitivities. Then I got into my teens and I developed eczema on my hands that would stay with me for the next 40 years. Wow. Of course, with teenage years and puberty, right, the hormonal changes. And this is why a lot of women struggle with this condition, because when you get a hormonal change, your estrogen levels go up and estrogen and histamine are intimately connected. They they thrive one another. They signal, I shouldn't say they meet, they signal one another to increase their levels. So in my teen years, that sinus inflammation got worse and I became a mouth breather all the time. I developed exercise-induced asthma and, you know, allergies got worse, like seasonal allergies. And my all-time low was in my early twenties. Um, I had mold exposure.
0: Mm-hmm. There it is. Uh, yeah. And I just almost want to pause and say like, this tends to be the like massive trigger, right? The causes oh, of landslide. Yeah. I know it was for me and similar sort of like, you know, you can see the signs at birth that were small, small. And then, you know, lived in a moldy place. And then it was like, boom, all of a sudden it was like the switch that I couldn't turn off. And so I want to highlight this as not an obvious trigger, but like, once you look back and you're like, Oh, you can see the landslide.
1: I didn't know what was going on when I was living in Korea, but Mm -hmm. I had extreme fatigue, extreme nausea. And in addition to my usual eczema on my hands. I developed a bullseye eczema. So these like bright red circles all over my torso. And yeah, and I didn't really know what was going on. So that was kind of my all-time low. And when I left Korea, I just slowly started to get better. But I just knew that something was wrong with my body. Up until that point, I had started seeing, you know, alternative practitioners and, and nobody had really been able to help. And so I just wanted to keep exploring what was happening. But then, you know, I got married and had kids and life intervened and got in the way. I occasionally had periods of time where those chemical sensitivities that I talked about in childhood would be debilitating, where Mm -hmm. like I couldn't go into a grocery store because one person in that store might be wearing perfume right i couldn't go into a mainstream grocery store because the laundry aisle was off gassing too many fragrances but even if i went into my local health food store you know if one person was wearing perfume i would have to turn around and leave and again it was just these like short kind of intermittent periods and again like i had alternative practitioners i had a great naturopathic doctor That I respected and trusted. And we were trying to work through some of this stuff and nothing was working. And in fact, and this is something that is not uncommon as well, but sometimes we would try herbal formulations and they would like go sideways.
0: So, can I actually just pause there because a couple (laughs) of things? The one is to know that, you know, your journey waxed and waned. Mm -hmm. This is, I think, an important clue for people listening in, right? It's not consistent. Heavy high anxiety 24/7 for you. For me, it was, but for you, it's not. It's periods where it comes and goes. And this is what yes. makes it so difficult to put your finger on because it can be literally across a month based on your estrogen levels that it does that. Mm-hmm. Or it can be like across periods of time, right? Yeah. So that's a really big thing. And then the second thing is herbals. And so I hear a lot. Of like people say, and they'll write this in my free group. Oh, I tried this herbal and I feel terrible. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they think it's a Herx reaction. So this like die off reaction. Yes. We're killing the parasites. This is good. The parasites are dying. Everything is great. And I was also one of these people who had this like Herx die off reaction. And so I just thought we need to go harder. Right? Like, Mm, we need to do more herbs. (laughs) We need to do it stronger. I'm full of parasites. And so, at one point, I did a nine month herbal protocol, right? Not understanding that herbs can actually flare like responses, right? And Mm -hmm. so can die off for that matter. So, it's a very Mm -hmm. delicate dance, but it it reframes this whole die off
1: concept. Yeah. And so can pharmaceuticals. There's a lot of pharmaceuticals that can do that as well. And so, yeah, this wax and wane, and this is where like diagnosing is very problematic. Like, I'm not qualified to diagnose, but, you know, you can understand from a medical doctor's perspective, right? When these symptoms kind of come and go, it's hard to say, you know, what it is. Mm-hmm. And the symptom profile looks so different from one person to the next yeah. My naturopathic doctor was really supportive. And when I'd say, you know, like my blood became really thin on, you know, whatever herbal formulation and he'd be like, what? And like, yeah, like I, I was bleeding all over the place. Like I'd cut a finger and I couldn't, you know, stop the bleeding. So he would even go and contact the company and say, you know, this is a side effect I've just seen in a client and and, you know, they would come back and say, well, no, that's not possible. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just these unexpected responses, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the response that is expected from an herbal or a pharmaceutical or a treatment protocol. That can be just another, yeah, signal that things are happening. But anyways, what finally kind of triggered for me was the clue was in my mid-40s, I went and I studied nutrition. And I was really doing it to get a break from parenting. My husband and I had adopted our third child and he had very severe cognitive delays. He was really malnourished as a baby. And so his brain hadn't really developed properly. And as a result, we were dealing with like temper tantrums, like multiple tantrums every day, lots and lots of tears of frustration. And I had essentially become his therapist. Right. Mm -hmm. I had a background in special education and I just sort of immersed myself in all these therapies and was trying to do all these therapies with him and nothing was working. And so I was like, okay, we're done. Like I'm so burnt out and stressed out. I'm just going to go study nutrition as a treat for me, you know, just do something for myself. So I did that. And when I finished, I was like, you know, there's a protocol called the gaps diet. And it stands for the gut and psychology syndrome. And the idea behind that protocol is that you repair the gut that will in turn repair the brain. And it's very powerful. Anybody who's done kind of
0: gut healthy stuff will be familiar with this. I'm familiar because it was also one of the things that I tried. Yeah, we're going to get to why you don't want to try it. If you have histamine issues. Yes.
1: So, you know, it's about these bone broths and lots of fermented foods, which are both very nourishing to the gut in different ways. I was making all these fermented foods. I was making my own yogurt and kefirs Mm -hmm. and all kinds of cultured vegetables. It took me, I'm going to say almost a year to definitively make the connection for Mm -hmm. me between fermented foods and new symptoms I was developing.
0: Interesting.
1: And so here, you know, I was now a nutrition professional and I was doing everything right. I was eating a super clean diet. It was, you know, very kind of AIP, paleo, like this really good quality diet. AIP
0: he meaning autoimmune. But autoimmune yeah.
1: protocol. Yeah. But, you know, I was doing all of these fermented foods, which again, you know, the research supports are really, really great for not only- gut health, but overall health because of the impacts, you know, the microbiome has on the whole body. And I was like, what the heck is going on? And I was developing a nerve tingling in one of my legs, which was not like debilitating, but it was super annoying to have this tingling going on on an ongoing basis. But the thing that really impacted my life was I was developing urinary urgency the number of times I almost peed my pants was, you know, more than I would care to admit, but I would get to the toilet and, you know, be frantically like the urge to urinate would come on so strongly. And I would frantically be trying to get my pants down. And more often than not, urine would start trickling before my butt hit the toilet seat. So, you know, I'd leave a trickle of pee on the floor or on my pants. And here I was, and, you know, my late forties. And, you know, the first thing you kind of think of is like, okay, you know, I'm a woman, I've given birth to a couple of babies, you know, maybe I'm suddenly just developing some incontinence. But there was also that part of my brain that thinking part of my brain that said, you know, Tracy, you've been doing Pilates for like over 15 years, Mm -hmm. your pelvic floor Is really, really strong. So this is not the muscular incontinence issue. Right. And but I was also too embarrassed to tell people that I was peeing my pants or, you know, almost peeing my
0: pants. And this was also during the time when you were being, you know, super good with fermented foods. And so GAPS diet also has a lot of bone broth in it, right? And bone broth, as as some of you may know, is really healing to the gut. And so you're thinking you're doing all this right. And you're having these really intense, bizarre symptoms. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so what's really interesting for me, I never did the bone broth. I always did a lower histamine meat stock as a trained gaps practitioner. That was one thing that I knew to kind of be cautious of, but again, that, that histamine conversation, you know, wasn't something that was really talked about. And I had heard of histamine because amongst GAPS practitioners, there was some talk of it. It wasn't really part of the training, but people were talking about it. And so I was starting to kind of just wonder, you know, was this impacting me? And at the time, I was able to actually do a serum histamine test, which uh-huh. I'm no longer able to do, but I was able to do it on myself and got the results. And it showed the ratio of my histamine. To something called DAO. And DAO is an enzyme that breaks down histamine so that my ratio there was quite off. I wasn't making enough diamine oxidase to break down histamine. So I knew my histamine was relatively high in relation to the enzyme. And so then I just kind of sat on that for about a year because I was like, what do I do with this information? And again, I know about physiology. So I'm like, is this a liver issue? Is this a gut issue? is it a mast cell issue? And I know we haven't really touched on mast cells yet, but I just had all these questions. And and finally, I was like, I need to go get tested, find a practitioner who can actually diagnose, you know, what's happening.
0: If you are struggling with anxiety and tired of going in circles, then I have something special for you. I have created a game-changing gift for everyone that is listening. This gift is specifically designed for women who are done living with their anxiety, whether they are tired of the intrusive thoughts, the sleepless nights, gut issues, the overwhelm, or being unable to do the things they used to love. This gift is specifically designed for women who want immediate action steps. So what I have for you is a guide. It is five surprising ways to reduce anxiety in just seven days. This guide is really great because it gives you some actionable steps. It is not telling you about your anxiety or suggesting a random things that you're never going to do, but they are really actionable steps that are going to have an immediate effect on lowering your anxiety. You can find the guide at go.healingjourneyservices.com slash five ways dash one. I just want to let the listeners know that bone broth and fermented food
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. are
0: actually high in histamine. And this is where it can be so frustrating for people because they're like, well, I believe in the research, right? Like the research makes sense. Like what my naturopath is telling me makes sense. And yet I don't feel good. Like I'm taking probiotics, which also can trigger histamine issues. Right. And so Mm -hmm. all of these, even a paleo diet, it's full of like foods which we haven't gotten to yet but there's certain (laughs) foods that will actually be high in histamine and so you can think that you're eating things that are you know healthy for you kind of like Mm -hmm. you were doing and actually end up accidentally flaring your symptoms yeah
1: yeah and in fact you know in addition to the fermented foods and the bone broth there are many foods that you know are really touted as being healthy foods beneficial foods but they're high in histamines. So there can be really good research that these foods are anti-inflammatory, but they're not gonna be anti-inflammatory for everyone because if yeah. you do have a histamine-mediated issue, these foods could in fact be inflammatory for you.
0: Right, because histamines are like, it's sort of like a cup, right? If we think about it or a tub. And so you might be able to tolerate a certain level of foods that are high in histamines for a certain period. And then let's say you're at a period in your cycle where your estrogen's high or where you have more exposure to histamine inducing things and that cup can overflow. And then other times of the month, that cup might be low. So, you know, you can eat the chocolate or, you know, you can tolerate the tomatoes, both of which are high in histamine and do a lot better than other times of the month. And so it can be confusing because it's not even always consistent, even with histamine foods.
1: Right, yeah. I'm glad you brought up that analogy. A lot of people talk about a bucket or a cup and you know, it, you have some histamine in it, but the problem is when that histamine flows out of the cup or the bucket. Mm-hmm. And there's my upcoming cookbook and business is with a colleague of mine, uh, Lucas Simmons. We use the analogy of a sink where the tap of the sink represents histamine that's coming into your body where the sink itself represents your body's capacity to hold histamine so the drain under the sink is really important because it represents the body's ability to break down and clear histamine it's Mm -hmm. really important to understand that piece because when you're using the bucket or the cup analogy it's just really about that kind of holding capacity but our bodies have the ability to break down and clear histamine, maybe not at the same rate as it can be coming in. And so that's important to understand. Some people genetically aren't good at breaking down and clearing histamine. But I think when we look at those three parts, you know, what's coming into the body, what's the body's capacity to kind of hold or store histamine, and then what's the body's capacity to break it down, clear it out, you know, move it through, detoxify it. It gives us a much better picture of how we actually need to be addressing the whole histamine issue within the body.
0: Okay. And so when we talk about mold being like the landslide, it's a major trigger for histamines in the body, right? Yes. So to speak. And so the foods we eat are important. Our body's ability to detox the histamines are also important. And then just the overall amount that we're eating is important too, right? Because if you eat like just a tiny amount, then you're like dripping the tap, right? So then your body might be able to detox that. But if you're somebody who genetically can't break it down and you're Mm -hmm. like bringing on the tomatoes, the curries and the chocolate, and you're living in a moldy building, like you're going to feel like your body's on fire. Yes. And
1: one thing we haven't talked about, you've talked about mold as a trigger. Histamine itself can be a trigger for the release of more histamine in the body.
0: Oh, I did not know that. Yes. So it's like a vicious circle. Yeah. So
1: mast cells are the cells in the body that store histamine. And if you can envision a mast cell, maybe like a beach ball or a big like exercise ball or something like that, And on the outside, a whole bunch of different locks. And mast cells have four different locks for histamine. They're called cell receptors. They're these receptors on the outside of the mast cells. And there's all kinds of different receptors, but there's four different ones for histamine. If you have a lot of histamine and your mast cells are sensitized, then histamine can bind to those receptors and will induce the mast cell to release histamine plus potentially a whole bunch of other chemical mediators
0: which are in very inflammatory in high levels yes yeah yeah you were saying you know you got to this point and then you went to a diagnosis and we sort of got sidetracked for a minute (laughs) so i have a feeling this is a good segue to kind of go back to your journey
1: yeah so when i went to the doctor to you know ask these questions like can i clear it what's going on in my body and so basically I was diagnosed with a condition called mast cell activation syndrome. At the gut level, I'm okay at breaking down histamine. I'm not awesome, but I'm okay. So genetically, I make like a moderate amount of diamine oxidase to break down.
0: So your drain um, so, function is good, genetically, so to speak.
1: Yeah, but it's not optimal. Uh-huh. So that's from the at the gut side, the diamine oxidase side, but at the liver end, that's where I'm actually quite compromised. I don't know if people have heard the term methylation in your audience, but there's a gene that a lot of people talk about or know about called the MTHFR gene,
0: uh-huh.
1: and there's other methylation genes. So I'm not a great methylator, so you need good methylation to break down histamine. So that's where my drain is also not functioning as well as it could. Mm -hmm. But the reality with mast cell activation syndrome is you can still have an awesome drain, but with mast cell activation, your mast cells react to very, very minuscule amounts of substances that the body should be viewing as safe, but your mast cells are like hypersensitized. They don't view these things as safe. And so they're hyper responsive. So, you know, this little bit of histamine. If it comes and binds to my mast cells, I could get a huge dump of chemical mediators or mold, right? Mold is one of those things that's going to bind to mast cell receptors. And again, can cause this huge dumping of all kinds of inflammatory chemical mediators. This is why estrogen impacts histamine levels because it can bind to mast cells and signal the release of histamine. So with mast cell activation, it becomes much, much more complicated. So if we go back to the sink analogy, mm-hmm. the sink is actually cracked. And so it doesn't matter. Like you still need to control your tap and your drain. You want those working as well as they can possibly be working, but the sink is actually cracked. So histamine's always leaking out of the sink. doesn't mm-hmm. matter what size sink mm-hmm. you have. It's always going to be leaking out.
0: So just to clarify, then somebody who doesn't have mast cell activation syndrome may still have a histamine issue Mm -hmm. where like mold is causing it and their detox capacity is not great, but somebody with mast cell activation, it's like the mast cell switch has flipped. Like I like to sometimes think of it like the Braveheart army, right? And so the army has been turned on and they're like, where is everyone? we're ready. We're ready. We're ready. And like everyone else is chilling out and we're like, dude, it's peace. The mast cells are still like, no, we can't settle down kind of thing. So yeah, would that be an accurate analogy for somebody who has mast cell activation syndrome?
1: Yes. Yeah. It's so again, mast cells are part of our immune system and that's the immune system's job, right? It's to act like the soldiers, like we're sentinels. We're here watching to make sure everything is safe and your mast cells don't feel safe. There is, there's a genetic component to this, but there's also a nervous system component to this. And so your neurons are the nerves in your nervous system and your brain. They talk to mast cells all the time. In the research literature, it's called crosstalk, They're talking to each other via different compounds like neurotransmitters and peptides and all these chemical mediators that the mast cells release. They're talking back and forth all the time. There's definitely, again, like the research supports that there are genetic variations within like the mast cell itself that is contributing to this. Then your nervous system can also be communicating this feeling of unsafety to your mast cells.
0: Where like past trauma can come in. Yes. Like if you had birth trauma, that would have kind of hardwired your nervous system to be extra anxious, mold exposure, like actual big T trauma, or like you have mast cell issues and then you get in an argument with your partner and your nervous system flares, that's gonna trigger a mast cell release.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, the mold one is like super interesting because mold can do both. Mold toxins can bind to the mast cell itself and cause a flare or like the mycotoxins from mold. They have such a huge impact on the nervous system that, you know, it can go that pathway as well. So I think that's why mold is so difficult and complicated for people because it can actually, from a histamine perspective it can be triggering mast cells via two different pathways.
0: Right. And so like before mold, then you (laughs) definitely had mast cell activation syndrome, but then what's happened after the mold is, did it like set the army on fire sort of thing? Or like if you detox the mold, can you bring that mast cell activation level back down or will it always sort of stay active?
1: That's a good question. I think Our body has this capacity to learn. Our cells kind of have this capacity to learn. And I don't have research literature to back this up, but I kind of feel like once your mast cells have learned that they need to be like extra vigilant soldiers, that memory is always going to be there. And we know the same to be true with like an autoimmune condition, right? People can go into remission, but they don't get rid of their autoimmune condition, that potential for it to flare or trigger. Is always going to be there. And it's a good analogy to use because so many of the triggers between autoimmunity and mast cell activation are actually the same, Mm -hmm. the same triggers, right? It's infection, it's stress, it's mold, intense exercise, right? All of these, you know, past trauma, current trauma. That's kind of my feeling is that once mast cells have had like something that's really triggered that flared state, that that's always going to be part of that cell's memory.
0: Wow. Okay. So in a sense, if we're talking about hope for healing, um, because I know (laughs) that's going to be a question. I think there's a couple of things that come out of this, right? First of all, is identifying what's happening provides Mm -hmm. peace in itself. Then you're like, I don't need to keep. And I know for me, that was a big, like, I have this mystery that no one can figure out. I'm like everyone's most difficult client there's something wrong with me. I'm broke. Like there was awful kind of thoughts coming out after seeing, you know, God knows how many practitioners you start Mm -hmm. to wonder that. So when you get this frame to put your symptoms in, that makes sense. Like that in itself is calming. I know our listeners can't see that, but
1: (laughs) it's so validating, especially if you've been getting the message that like, this is you know, all in your head, it's psychosomatic. Like you know, sometimes people hear terms like pseudo allergies or idiopathic allergies because sometimes the flares can look like kind of an allergic response. So there's all this like kind of vagueness. And again, it's really invalidating to be told, like, no, your antidepressants or your anti anxiety meds should be working, you know, when they're not yeah, to finally have a diagnosis, I think it's validating, it's empowering because once you know, you also can start to actually move forward with some actionable steps.
0: And those actionable steps are going to be to improve the drain, right? So supporting genetic SNPs, supporting detox pathways, calming the mast cells down. So trying to patch the crack in Mm -hmm. the sink. Which you yeah. can do, right? It's possible yes. using either supplements or, you know, prescription medication to exactly. tell the mast cells to chill out. And then it's also about not having the water like barreling out of the tap, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the other thing I would add to that is identifying all the triggers, which is sometimes right. the hardest part, mm-hmm. right? We've we talked a little bit about how difficult that can be but yeah, that often requires working with a practitioner. And I hate to say, but it is an expensive process. It
0: very much is.
1: I've had people say to me, oh, you know, I'm pretty sure I don't have heavy metal toxicity or my gut's fine. I'm pretty sure I don't have leaky gut, but you can't always feel these things the way you expect to feel them, especially Mm -hmm. like in the gut, right? People think, oh, I don't have GI symptoms, so I can't possibly have leaky gut, but that's not the case. You can have no GI symptoms. And in fact, I would, you know, hazard a guess and say most people don't have GI symptoms, but they can have leaky gut. And so identifying the triggers requires some deeper digging with some of this testing but unless you do the testing, you may be missing out on identifying some of these
0: triggers that you wouldn't know about otherwise. Yeah. So it can be a bit of a process, but I think the point is there's a a map and a pathway that you can get there. And each step (laughs) is kind of lowering the burden on the body or the triggers for the mast cells, right? So I mean, you may take a chapter maybe doing trauma work and then a chapter might be diet and then a chapter might be one test and then another test. I think modern medicine still this idea that we take one medication and then we're healed. But when we're looking at something as complex as potentially mast cell, that journey doesn't necessarily have to happen like that. You can still be on it and moving forward And if financially you can't invest everything up front, it doesn't mean you can't go on the journey. You can get on the train. Your train just might go a lot slower than somebody else's will. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, And I
0: think that's also really important to know that that train's worth getting on. Cause I talk to a lot of women that are like, well, I've talked to like, you know, 20 practitioners, like, what if this doesn't work? And so it's like, This analogy of them standing there with their hands on their hips being like, I'm not getting on the train. Like, I don't care. I mean, get on the train and start continuing on now that you have this framework. It means that, you know, it's not going to go away overnight, but your each step that you take within this framework will eventually add up to noticeable decreases in anxiety.
1: Yes. And I'm so glad you use that term journey. I think it is really a lifelong journey simply because there are things that will happen in life that you don't have control over that might induce, you know, a flare in your symptoms. So even when you feel you've got a pretty good handle on things, you know, maybe a death of a loved one happens or, you know, you, you lose a job or any kind of stressful event, Or, you know, maybe you have a toxic exposure that you couldn't foresee or prevent, right? So there are things that will always happen that can contribute to a flare of symptoms. And so it really, it's an ongoing process. Again, for most people who've already been through so many practitioners, there will still be obstacles, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you just talked about sort of the financial obstacles and yet your train ride is going to be a little slower. For example, I have a client right now who financially and also just because of the real estate market where she Mm -hmm. is living, she is unable to move out of her moldy home. I see this a lot as
0: well. Yeah. And this is Especially in this era, like in the last couple of years, we're like, we identify it, we find it, and then we're like, oh, and people get stuck, right?
1: Yeah. As a nutrition professional, you know, when I first graduated- I was all about food can heal everything. And I strongly believe in food as medicine, but I have now kind of recognized the need for pharmaceuticals.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it took I mean, me a while to kind of move off of like natural only. And I know yeah. one of the women I love, Kelly Brogan, is all about like, you don't need pharmaceuticals. And I'm like, you've never met mast cell issues, have you? Yes.
1: Yeah, I think there are definitely a few places in mast cell activation syndrome is definitely one of them. But this particular client of mine, because she's exposed to mold all the time, everything else is a trigger. Like everything else is a huge trigger. I mean, I've seen this with other people as well, but food actually becomes, and not just histamine in food. But food becomes one of the biggest triggers and it's food sensitivity. Like there's so many compounds in food that people can potentially react to. Mm -hmm. And this is another place then where I think, okay, like she can't get out of the moldy situation. And, you know, we've run through all kinds of different scenarios, but it's just not possible for her right now. This is where like you have to be on a pharmaceutical because if food is one of the triggers, you have to eat, right? Like that's a reality to survive. But if food is actually triggering your mast cells, you have to find a way to calm the system mm-hmm. enough that you can actually nourish your body.
0: It's like trying to like eat in a sandstorm. Like it's trying to absorb nutrients in a sandstorm, right? you're like, there's so much chaos around Mm -hmm. you that like, you're not going to be able like to eat in it. Like Mm -hmm. it's just a vision of that is awful. So like, that's what's happening in the body with mast cells. It's like literally a sandstorm. And so if you're trying to do basic function in a sandstorm, like think of how much more energy that's going to take from your body. than like, if you calm the sandstorm down and you presented the body with the same food.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's totally different. And the reality is that we have a lot of mast cells in our GI tract. Mm-hmm. So if you're gonna put food in your system that's gonna trigger those mast cells, like like they're right there, they're right in the GI tract. It's a very inflammatory mechanism. And this is a question I hear quite often is well, shouldn't I try to force myself to eat these foods so that at least I'm nourishing myself? Mm. But the answer is no, because If your mast cells are inducing inflammation, you can't actually digest and absorb your food when your GI tract is in that inflammatory Mm -hmm. state. Mm -hmm. So you can put the most nutrient dense foods you want into your GI tract, but with that kind of inflammatory response, you can't digest and absorb those nutrients.
0: Right. And so this is where getting to the bottom of it's really important. Yeah. So for our listeners, then like top foods that are sources of histamines, I've kind of given away a few. So chocolate, tomatoes. So
1: some of the other foods that people would consider to be healthy, that they might be eating a lot of would be avocado, Mm -hmm. right? Like avocado is. Gained so much popularity. It's so nutrient dense. It's got all these healthy awesome. fats, but I it can be them. high in histamine. Spinach as well, right? Mm-hmm. I meet so many people who were like, "Oh, but you know, every day I put spinach in a smoothie or I have yes. a spinach salad." Bacon is, you know, a nitrate-free bacon has gained a lot of popularity, kind of amongst the keto uh, dieters. So that would be another one that's really high. Like any of those processed meats will be high in histamine. There's a couple of other fruits like all the citrus fruit, so yeah. oranges, lemons, limes, grapefruit. They're high histamine. Pineapple is high histamine, and so are strawberries. Mm, oh, so good. Yeah. So again, right? for people, yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so for people who are doing a lot of smoothies, again, right? Those might be some of the fruits. Oh, and bananas as well, right? They're yeah. quite high histamine, and those are very commonly used to kind of sweeten a smoothie. We're hitting on some of these top hitters, but let me just give you really simple alternatives. So, spinach—a really great alternative—is arugula. Avocado is a little bit more challenging, but if you're eating avocado for the healthy fats, the avocado oil is just fine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, make sure you're using some avocado oil or, uh, like, coconut cream can give you know that nice creamy, smooth consistency to things like smoothies tomato so fresh tomato is pretty hard to kind of uh, replace but if you use a lot of tomato sauces you can do like a butternut squash puree as a sauce Mm. instead bacon just go out and buy some sliced pork belly and it's not necessarily going to have that smokiness but you can salt it and crisp it right up and uh, have a nice crispy pork belly for pineapple, mango is a really nice alternative, right? They're both tropical. They're both really sweet. For chocolate, cacao butter is a nice option.
0: And you gave me this um, a while ago and I was beyond excited for <laughs> cacao butter. I actually weigh way too much of it. It's fat, right? So I sort of overdid it. So don't overdo it if you're really excited about this one. But yes, it is a great alternative.
1: Yeah. So cacao butter is just the fat that is extracted when the beans, like the cocoa and the fat are separated to make chocolate. And it has a subtle chocolatey flavor, right? So it's not nearly as intense as chocolate itself, but it's really lovely. I probably eat way too much of it as well. I like to put it into like hot drinks to like Mm -hmm. create kind of a nice, creamy, warm, comforting drink. But I make also a lot of kind of like little fat bomb type of things that I can pop into my mouth. And then bone broth, you can do a low histamine meat stock. The fermented foods are challenging. So for fermented foods, what I tell people is that you know, if you want to get those benefits of getting more of those microbes into your GI tract, a probiotic supplement as opposed to getting it from food, and you have to be super careful
0: I actually use Megaspore Biotic because I know that it's safe. I use it with all my clients. Actually, we don't mess around because I know that it's safe for histamine issues because it's so hard to find a brand that's not going to flare that up. Right.
1: Yeah. So there are quite a few brands that have only histamine degrading species in them. Yeah. So the Megaspore is one, there's HMF Bifido from Genestra. There's a couple of companies out of the States that have some as well. Sometimes, you know, a person needs to kind of play around with their probiotics. Uh, Saccharomyces boulardii would be another one, which is actually a beneficial yeast. So it is neutral in terms of histamine, right? Doesn't degrade or contribute. So there's a few different ones, but, you know, if we're looking at kind of getting that microbial support Think those are kind of all the key foods we touched on. Yeah.
0: And you said earlier that you have a book coming out, which I'm very excited about because if you are anyone who's already had this on your radar, then you know that it's hard to find good tasty recipes. So Tracy has a book coming out and when should we expect that?
1: So we're anticipating that it will come out in June. So this book has been an absolute labor of love. So it's interesting because I started working with clients that had histamine and mast cell issues before, you know, I ever identified it in myself. And this would have been seven-ish years ago. And at the time I recognized there were no resources. There was really nothing I could tell people, you know, go get this book or go read this article. Like there was so little information out there. So I would kind of scramble to put a few recipes together for them. And often, you know, it was combining low histamine with their food sensitivities. You know, they were low oxalate and like there was a bunch of factors coming into play. And so I had this little tiny handful of recipes for my clients. But I also recognized when people have mast cell activation syndrome, It's just so much more complex because oxalates or salicylates or, you know, mold in foods could potentially be triggers. You know, there were a few low histamine cookbooks out there, but I wanted a cookbook that people could pick up and within the recipe have a variation for low oxalate or have a variation for low salicylate, or if they also had an autoimmune condition that they could, you know, pick this book up and make adaptations as needed. So together with my colleague, Lucas Simmons, we've spent the last two years putting mm-hmm. the book together and it's a guide and a cookbook in one. So a lot of what we've talked about today is in the guide part of the book, but there's also things like what questions should you be asking your doctor? What kinds of tests should you be asking for? So we wanted kind of a one-stop resource that people you know, could pick up and find the information they needed to move forward with. And then as much as possible, we have, again, we've tried to create all these variations within our recipes so that if you are low oxalate or low salicylate or have an autoimmune condition as well, that you can still pick up this cookbook. And so it's paleo, it's low lectin, it's low mold. Like we've tried to build as much as we could again. And we called it histamine Haven because Mm -hmm. it's about creating safety. And yeah. so it's
0: that haven that safe place. Right. So, <laughs> so how do they find that? Like in June, where do you have a website or yes? They email you, or what does that look like? So we've got a website also called Histamine Haven.
1: So it's histaminehaven.com. As soon as the book's available, we'll be putting that up there and pre-sale will be happening as well. I'll be and... there. <laughs> <laughs> and we have other resources there. So We have a resource page on there. We have an online community where you can get more resources and we're just now starting to launch online programs as well. Mm. So, you know, some people can pick up a book like this and they're like, I'm good. I can use this book. I'll follow it. Exactly. As you know, it says I should other people get overwhelmed with books. Either there's too much content or, they just need to be moving on that slower train, as you said. And so we are creating programs that go hand in hand with the book. So we'll be leading people through the same, the exact same dietary protocol, but at a slower pace. Mm -hmm. So for people who are, you know, those like, like, this is me, I'm the kind of person who's like, okay, I've made the decision, I'm jumping in with both feet, right? Like I just go into things hard and heavy sometimes (laughs) to my detriment, but then other people are like, okay, you know what? First, I'm going to change my breakfast options. You know, I'm going to stop eating my breakfast cereal and start, you know, adding in low histamine foods. So some people just have to take a bit more time to go through all of this. So that's what our online programs are really all about.
0: Awesome. I really love that. Because I do think I'm a big proponent of hiring a coach who's been through it, right? If you're struggling to implement it yourself, I'm usually that person where it's like, I know the information, but knowing and doing are two very different things, right? So if you want that support, that's there. And then I also wanted to add that I offer the testing piece of things too. Yes. So, you know, going to you to kind of get that diet piece down. And then if you want more information about testing, Cause I don't think you offer that piece of it. Do you? No, no. No. So as a
1: nutrition professional, that's outside of my scope. Yeah.
0: So I do do some of that testing too. So Mm -hmm. lots of avenues in the show notes, we're going to add the link to your website as well. um, So that people can find you. Is there any last bits of information that you'd like to share? I think we've covered all the key ideas. We've covered a lot. (laughs) A lot. So if your brain is exploding at the end of it, it's okay. We've kind of taken you from what is histamine to way down a rabbit hole. And I know that it's been very informative. I'm so excited for this to go live and for everyone to get to hear about it. So thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge with me and with my listeners today thank you
1: so much for having me. I'm obviously passionate about this topic and the more this message can get out and help people to understand that, you know, maybe there's, there's one thing that is driving all of their symptoms. And you know, here's actually, here's something I will add. There's a research paper that came out of Germany that indicates that as many as 17% of the population can Mm -hmm. be impacted. Mm -hmm. by uh, histamine and mast cell involvement. So that's a huge number. So that's like one in every five or six people. So just think about the people around you in your life. And if it's not you who's struggling with this, there's somebody that you know that will be impacted. It's a really important message to share.
0: It is, which is why I'm super excited that you shared it with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. for tuning in to this episode of the holistic anxiety fix podcast if you're enjoying the show please feel free to rate subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts so others like you can learn how to heal naturally from anxiety thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode